this meeting is being recorded. Okay. All right. So um, I emailed this out to you. We have been studying the Holy Spirit. And um, today um, we are going to look at specific gifts of the Spirit. Um, and specifically, we're going to look at the word of knowledge. And we're going to take a very uh, strange path to get there. So there's three principles I want to bring to your mind to remind you of today about the Holy Spirit and you and your life in Christ. And the first principle I want to remind you of is this, that we are not our own. Um, we have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so therefore our ownership and our identity is now divine and evidence in the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us. We no longer have, we are no longer ourselves. We don't belong to ourselves. We now belong to God. Um, and so we are not divine, but we belong to the divine. His Holy Spirit living in us is the deposit, the evidence, the earnest money uh, on that transaction, which will one day be completed when we uh, see God in heaven. So that's the first thing. So you no longer are a free moral agent on your own because you have been purchased. Okay. The second thing I would like to do is it remind you of this. That we did not um, achieve a threshold, some level of achievement or standard or mark of perfection that we reached in our lives with what we're doing in ourselves and our abilities that allowed us to be ushered into and receive the Holy Spirit, to receive his presence of his spirit in our lives. Our salvation is the exclusive work of God. Exactly. The, the, so, so and here's, and here's that work of God. The work is the Messiah on the cross and all that stuff that's involved in that. It is the Holy Spirit wooing us throughout our lives, confronting us, arranging situations, connecting us with people and events, and, and just pleading with our hearts as we go through life to get to a point where we will surrender to him, accept that grace that he's provided and receive that um, as we go through this, this life, this time, this space. And the last part about that um, is that the Father in heaven, as the divine architect of all of our lives, arranging so many events across the span of our lives as we interconnect with other people, arranging uh, places, events, emotions, things we see, people we meet, all these things, one upon the other, constantly pinging us and, and pushing us and drawing us into that point where we surrender, accept that salvation and join in um, in that with him. It's an inevitable point of surrender and we accept the offer of grace. And then we are in this process where we are now, where we are supposed to be, because we've done none of this on our own. We no longer own ourselves, we're owned by God, we are his. Now we're at a point where we are supposed to follow along and enter into yielded surrender seeking the will of God in our lives and doing what he asks us to do. All aspects of our lives, all aspects of our lives. Now, we will never achieve all that God has intended for us within ourselves. I will never be able to, within the abilities of me, to do what God has planned for me to do, to meet the people he wants me to meet, to have the words to say to them that they need to hear, to be in the right place at the right time, to make another intersection for somebody else the way an intersection was made for me that brought me into my salvation. The only way 
that I can do that, all that he has predestined for me to do is if I am the same way I was saved, have the Holy Spirit working in me, have God doing this for me. I can't do it. And thank goodness for mankind that it ain't upon our abilities to do any, yes. any of that. Yeah. And, the, and the reason we don't do what God intended for us to do is because even with the Holy Spirit within us, we're still sinful human beings. It's that same part of us that's in that place where the Holy Spirit <laughs> Yes, yeah. So, um, and that actually comes out later on in our, our lesson today, our main part of our lesson. So, um, so the same way we approach our, the work of our salvation in that we are empty handed, that we aren't coming with stuff that we have done. This is all what God has done is the same way we have to live our Christian lives. Empty handed. It's not a thing of pride that look what I've done. Look what I can do. Look at my abilities and my talents. This is a God thing. So there's, there's two aspects here. So we have our salvation and then we have our working it out, living it out, walking it out. Okay. So those are the three principles for today. And then I want to give you some verses to back that up. Um, the first I would say is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And as good Lutherans, you know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And, and, and we, of course, cling to that because we, we realize that it's all a God thing. And then we come to verse 10 right after that, that great statement of faith that is, is we are justified um, by faith and not by our works. Then we have in verse 10, for we are God's own handiwork for his workmanship. Now, what we are today is not the result of our works. The person that you are today is not because of your self-help book. The person you are today is exclusively the work of God. People might look at me and say, oh, you're a good man. You do good stuff. No, I'm a sinful man. I do bad stuff. Anything that's in me that's good, that you see manifested, is not because of Matthew. It's because of God. And the same thing is true for all of us. Now, look at the next phrase in this verse. It says, recreated in Christ Jesus. Now, we have not been reincarnated. You know, a Buddhism, Eastern religions will cling to this idea of being reincarnated, being born in a new life. And there's a complete disconnect with your existing life and your previous life. You have no idea what it is. And they have people that put all kinds of theories out there about why you were in this bad situation or why you were in this good situation. What God does is completely different. He doesn't reincarnate us. He recreates us. So that there is a complete connection between people who know me or have known me when I was at the College of Charleston at the, as a president of the fraternity living a godless life. Those people are still in Charleston and they know me and they see me. And so now when they see me and they see how different I am when we cross paths, they're like, wow, that's different. So I haven't been reincarnated, but I have been recreated. I've been made into a new creature in Christ. The next thing he says is this. He says, born anew that we may do those good works. This goes back to the good works that God has predestined for us to do, that we weren't just saved to be saved. We were saved to do something and share what we know about God. We are born anew by God, and it's not just our eternal salvation, but it's our temporal assignment for the kingdom of God. 
It's not just about the sweet by and by. It's about the nasty here and now. Okay. Now it continues with this, which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared at the time that we should walk in them. The same way we did not produce our salvation, we do not produce the good works in our lives. That's something God is doing. The next thing it says is this, living the good life, which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. I hope, I hope you're picking up on this. I'm trying to hammer it, okay? The same way the Holy Spirit prearranged all those events in our lives to bring us to the salvation of Jesus, the same Holy Spirit is prearranging the gifts and the works he has recreated for us to live in Christ. We are called to works of obedience to God. And then in John 14, 12, Jesus says, we are called to greater works than what he does. So we've got a really high standard of expectation from Papa. He is really putting it out there saying, y'all ain't seen nothing yet. Y'all think my son did good? Wait till I get through with y'all. And again, it's just like our salvation. It's not us, it's him. Now, I want to bring, Jesus said that the, uh, the Bible says that the, the truth is established in the mouth of two or three witnesses, right? So that was my first witness, Ephesians. My second witness is Galatians. Galatians chapter three, verses one through five. And this is one we've talked about over and over again in our study. The first verse begins like this. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you for the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as you were as if you had seen it, his, a picture of his death on the cross. Look at verse two. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? No, no. So then let me ask you a question. How much work did you do to receive the gospel package? Think about that gospel package. It's the all the benefits and rights converted to those who believe. There are a lot of benefits and rights wound up in that gospel package. So think about it like this. It's, um, it's like an inheritance. You do not do anything to receive an inheritance. You don't work for it. You don't buy it. It's a gift. I have to tell you that um, sometimes an inheritance comes with a price, a cost, a painful experience. My inheritance is a possession of great value. Um, the reason I was out last Sunday has to do directly with my inheritance. Um, the contents of the workshop of my wife's grandfather were willed to me as an inheritance after his death. I was not aware of the inheritance being mine. He had planned it. He never told me. I never knew. I was made aware about three months after his death. I was shocked and grateful. Um, and so um, a couple of weeks ago, he, he had uh, he's been dead for a year. I arranged to go and receive my inheritance from his workshop. Now, that day of taking possession of and receiving all that he had planned and given to me in that inheritance, 
Um, it was more than I could handle. We had rented a box truck. I'd hired men to go with me to receive it. I'd called family up where the, where the house is to clear out this workshop and receive it. It was so much I couldn't take it all in. We actually had to go and borrow an enclosed trailer to keep bringing stuff in. There were so many things of great value, heavy equipment, weighing hundreds of pounds. And I had to just start giving things away. People who were working there with me, it's like, hey, would you like to have this? I don't have room for it. Do you, would you like to have this? We had to leave things behind. We had to throw things away. There was so much was coming in and being received in that inheritance. We couldn't receive it all. I couldn't take it all in. Now, there was a price to be paid with that. There was a cost of that inheritance. That day was a 17-hour workday for me. It started early in the morning at about 3 a.m. It involved a whole day of moving, logistics, just nasty, dusty, dirty work, and then five hours of travel round trip. All that went into that event debilitated me. I got sick. I was sick for a week. I couldn't, I was in bed. It just sat me. So I received the inheritance, but it was, it was upon me and it hurt. Now our inheritance, that most valuable, valuable possession, our salvation, cost a great price. It cost the father his most valuable possession, his son, who was given for us that we could inherit eternal life. So in receiving that inheritance between the emotions of that day and the physical exertion, it just wiped me out and um, ended up with the, with the covert. And, you know, there's still going to be lingering effects of that in the days to come. The lingering effects of the day Jesus made his sacrifice for our inheritance is still with us. And we can still receive all those. So look at Galatians chapter three. I'm going to take you to verse five. I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Now, the gifts of the Holy Spirit for, are for those who believe on Jesus for salvation and redemption and transformation and recreation and resurrection. There are nine specific ones that are listed, and we do not get to pick our gifts. God picks our gifts. And then our job is um, to believe in Jesus, receive his Holy Spirit, accept those gifts, and then work that out. So next week, we're going to focus on the value of your gift. And look at why they're so valuable. Yes, sir. Is there, it seems to me there's a scripture that says that we should pray for the gifts. What is that? Do you yes. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, everyone is, according to scripture, every one of you in believing in Christ, part of that gospel package, one of those aspects of your inheritance is that God gives you a gift, a spiritual gift. There are nine specific ones that are listed uh, in one passage. There are some others listed in another. And um, the Bible does say that you should, um, you all have one. And you have access to all of them. And you should, like Mr. Roy says, Paul encouraged the believers to pray that God would grant them more gifts. Now, next week, when we get into the value of your gift, we will see Jesus in one of his parables illustrate this. And I believe he will show if you are willing to receive his gifts, to act in them and work in them, that he will bestow upon you more gifts to do more works and more good things. Did you have something? Okay. You look, you were going to say something. 
right. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we see most of the gifts listed. In verse 4, it says this. Now there are distinctive varieties of spiritual gifts, special abilities given by the grace and extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit operating in believers. That's you. But it is the same spirit who grants them and empowers believers. So the same way our salvation is all something done beyond our ability, not with our ability, not with our works. The same thing that God is saying here is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we interact with others and draw them into the kingdom of God. All of that is because of what the Holy Spirit does in us. Now, today we're looking at the gift of knowledge. Uh, skip down to verse 8 in chapter 12, where it says this, to one is given through the Holy Spirit the power to speak the message of wisdom and to another the power to express the word of knowledge and understanding according to the same spirit. All right. So the Holy Spirit's giving us is giving you the power to speak a message of wisdom, a power to express a word of knowledge and understanding. All right. Now, Jesus alludes to this when the disciples are asking him in Mark 13, Luke 22 and uh, 24, Matthew, when he is talking about the end of days and that you will be persecuted and things will happen. You'll be brought before synagogues and leaders and you're going to have to say something in defense of, of me and the gospel. And he says, don't worry about what you're going to say, because in that moment, the Holy Spirit will give you the words you need to say. And there'll be wisdom beyond the ability of men to combat it. Word of knowledge. Now, in your notes, um, I've printed out and sent to you, there's a link to a website um, for a man. I've never heard of him before, but he seemed pretty good. He might, hopefully he's not, hopefully he's a good believer and I'm not sending you to somebody's bad information. Uh, but anyway, there's a link to it and there's a list and he lists out the nine different gifts of the spirit and does Bible verse references for those. And I want to draw out one of the verses he says is 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, and he says this, do not, do not neglect the gift. This is on page, uh, what's well, on page 13 of my notes. Your notes are shorter. Page three. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. We should be looking for and seeking and trying to uncover what our gift is that God has granted us so that we can utilize it for his kingdom. Yes, sir. It comes, like you were saying, I, I like what you mentioned about an inheritance comes with price. When you're given a, when you're given a gift, God expects you to walk in obedience to that and to manifest and go where he leads you with that gift. However, like uh, a good friend of mine, Ron Perkins out in Washington State, he, um, he has a gift of intercessory prayer and stuff. And that comes with a burden. He wakes up at three o'clock in the morning and he has a burden and he's just praying and, <coughs> and, and it just, it just hurts his heart and, but, but he's faithful to do that and everything. And so when we have these gifts, we walk it out and hopefully we do it in obedience, but understand that, that God expects. And when Jesus said, I, I think I said this last week in the, in the, in the 
Bible study that when he said, pick up your cross daily and follow after me, the first, those people that he said that to knew exactly what he meant unto death. You pick up your cross. And so it's, it's, it's a responsibility that we walk out and, and use the gift that God has graceful, graciously had given us and stuff. And so it does come with a price. Yes, it does. You know, he, 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 he gives us so much stuff and we need to be so grateful, but we also need to understand we need to be responsible. Right. So there is, yeah, there is a responsibility that comes to our gift. So it's not just a, a learning about what your gift is and, and honing it and using it. Um, there is a complete responsibility that goes with that. You're absolutely right. Um, there are, um, anyway, so the gifts are listed here. You can look at those in your notes. And then I want to move on to our main lesson today. Our main object lesson for today is God led me to the strangest place. Go to your Old Testament. Turn to Second Chronicles and look at chapter 20. This is the last place I would have ever expected to see the gift of the word of knowledge displayed in the lives. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 20. There is this very unusual story. Jehoshaphat is king of Israel. And uh, during his reign, uh, Israel is suddenly, the news is brought to the king that three enemies are approaching the nation. Um, they have the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Muonites. And they're all approaching simultaneously, some from land, some from sea, they are surrounded, they are outnumbered, there is no escape, there's no way to save themselves, they are facing annihilation, death, and destruction. Now, let me draw something out for you. We, as believers in Christ, face three enemies every day. We face the world, we face our own flesh, and we face the devil. And that's who we struggle against as we go through this Christian life. Now, that's all you can, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 5, we'll, we'll draw that out for you. Now, they faced these enemies, and they knew that death would be the result of the encounter. And they had to do something. And what they did is they turned to God. King Jehoshaphat immediately knew the only option for their survival was going to be found in God. Now, we in our lives, we come to that same point where we have to face the reality of our mortality, death and destruction. And that will be the result of our encounter with, with that. And so that's why we turn to Jesus for our salvation so that we can overcome death. In verses 12 through, uh, 3 through 12 in chapter 20, the king, Jehoshaphat, leads the people in prayer and fasting and worship and praise of God. And God hears their cry. And in verse 14, it says this, that the spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. In verse 13, we see this. As all the men of Judah stood around before the Lord in prayer, praising and worshiping with all their little ones and wives. So these people are in this desperate uh, life and death situation. The spirit of the Lord comes upon this one man, um, Jehoshuel, which means whom God watches over and gave him clear and specific word of knowledge for their situation. In verse 15, he says this. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. He is addressing the king. 
That takes a lot of guts back then. Kings could kill you for no reason at all, any kind of a whim. But he has received something from God. He believes he has information that can be helpful to their situation, and he begins to declare it to the people. This is what the Lord says. First thing, do not be afraid. Now, that's a word of encouragement we always need because we have lives that are pummeled by fear of all types of things that come upon us. Fear for people we love, fear for things around us, fear for at night when we lock our doors, fear that we're going to get sick and die, fear we're going to get in a car wreck, all kind of, you know, fear the economy is going to crash, fear there's going to be war. I mean, there's fear everywhere. And what does he say? Do not be afraid. And the next thing he says is, don't be discouraged. And he's saying, don't be discouraged by this mighty army. And why does he say that? He says that for the battle is not yours, but God's. Now, the same thing. We've already talked about it all morning. Your salvation is the same way. The battle for your salvation is not yours. It is God's. God is the one who fights the battle for our salvation and saves us the same way he's doing this in Israel. Now, verse 16, he continues. He says this, tomorrow, march out against them, and you will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jerul. Now, this word from the Lord had Jehaziel contains, it contains highly detailed information, all right, regarding time, tomorrow, um, regarding actions to be taken, march out against them uh, with a specific location, go to the ascent of Aziz, which, and this is interesting, so for me, uh, words mean things in, in scripture, and God doesn't, the Holy Spirit never picks a word by accident. There's not, a, a, there's not a, a word, a piece of punctuation or anything I believe in your scriptures there accidentally or by happenstance. It all has a purpose and a reason for being there. So the place where he says the ascent of Ziz, Z-I-Z means a shining plate on the forehead of the high priest. Our ultimate high priest is Jesus, right? Okay. At the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jerul. Jerul means a people of God, a habitation of God, founded by God, literally taught by God. All those are aspects of who we are in Christ. There's nothing of this is by accident. In verse 17, he continues, but you will not even need to fight. Wait a minute. How many armies are there? Three big times. Three big times armies. And where are they coming from? Land and sea across the desert. They're marching where? To kill us. All right. He says, you ain't got to fight. And that's what God says to us in our salvation. You don't have to struggle for your salvation. The fight's already won. Take your positions and then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. How many times do we see that in the Psalms where God, someone comes and they're writing this meditative Psalm where they're having turmoil and trouble and pain and struggling in their life. And the word comes back from God, be still and know that I am God. You sit still in your faith and belief in me and watch what I will do to conquer your enemies and take these things from you. Well, he, if you're looking at this passage before the Lord even speaks to them, it says in verse 12, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So they were humble, which is why the Lord spoke to them. Yeah, so they turned to God. Thank you, Lindy. That's very good. They turned to God. Um, in their situation, knowing that they couldn't do anything about it. And he continues with this. He says, he is with you. 
and you have the Holy Spirit in you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Now, the people had a choice. This man has stood up, started yelling at the king, screaming at everybody in the crowd, and we got to make a choice. Is this guy just coming up with this stuff on his own? Is he really hearing from God? I'm going to imagine <laughs> that there were probably some murmuring discouragers among the crowd. There was probably some conversation at supper that night around the table. At, he doesn't know what he's talking about, Jay. Well, we're all going to get killed tomorrow. There probably were some people like that. Now, we look at this as scripture. We're reading this from thousands of years ago, and we don't see it the way they saw it. They had to see it completely differently than we are seeing it today. So imagine that in a few, few minutes, we're going to worship service, and at some point during the service, there's an opportunity for people who believe they're hearing something from God to speak. Now, we all have a choice when we hear someone say what they're saying. We have a choice. We can say... Yeah, I think they were kind of off their rocker today. That just doesn't make sense to me. Or you could say, wow, you know, that, did somebody tell them what was going on with me? Because that really did speak to me. A word of knowledge. Now, they had a choice to make. Will they believe God? Will they believe this man that he's heard from God? Will they act on the message? And we look at verse 20. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped, this is the king, and he says this, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. And there's the answer. The answer to the question pivots on the leadership and their direction and where they say to go. The king addresses the people. He says, believe. Believe in the Lord your God. Believe he'll be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and his people to succeed. Now, how much faith did the people display in the word from the Lord? Verse 21 says this. After consulting the people, the king appointed. Now, this is just insane. This is absolutely insane. The king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. Well, I don't feel anything about battles, but that's the wrong way to do it, okay? You need to have your best troops out front. The king says, no, we're going to take the singers, musicians, we're going to put them out in front of the army, we're going to march into this point of battle we're supposed to be meeting and confronting them. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to start singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor, and this is what they're going to sing. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. How much faith did the king have? The king had so much faith that he said the victory is already won. We're going to start singing praise and worship right now before we even get to the battlefield. Now, we do the same thing. How many of you have died? Yourself. <laughs> Death to self. Good answer. Good answer, Mr. Roy. So as I look around, I don't think any of us have died, okay? When we go to worship service, and we sing about the power of God and Christ and our salvation, his victory over death for us, we're doing just what they did. 
before we get to that point of encounter with death, we're already singing about the victory and the praise that God is and his faithfulness has for us. Isn't that amazing? Well, during those times back in the Old Testament, war was just almost constantly going on. And people saw, and it was mostly hand-to-hand combat kind of thing. And so people understood and knew the horrors and, and how awful that, that these battles and these wars were. And you have to commend the people with Jehoshaphat that they actually did walk out. They actually did put their faith in, in, in motion. And if we ask ourselves today, okay, um, the Chinese are coming from, from Somerville and the, <laughs> the, Russians and the are... Soviets are coming from Holly Hill. And we in Charleston need to walk out to the bridge at Ashley River and start singing because the Lord is going to do that. How many of us in our congregation and everything <laughs> want to be a singer and want to walk out and, and face these people? Can I get a rifle and a hymnal? <laughs> <laughs> and, and almost like, is there anybody else up there with a better plan? You know? Yeah. But yes, ma'am. Well, I was going to say that, you know, when you've got singers and musicians and that, there's a lot more noise and you think there's a lot more people. Yes, that's and true. So you're thinking that, you know, this is a huge army. So I, I don't know, being in choirs and stuff, you really can project. Right. You can. Yeah. But I believe all that with the Jehoshaphat thing was just to kind of show God gets the glory. It was not man. It was not Jehovah's Jehoshaphat himself, you know. They were led by the Spirit to, to come up with these things, were told by the Spirit to do these things. And so to the glory of God be all of this. Let him yes. get the glory. Yes, me. exactly. Yeah. Very. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm just saying that. Yes, yes, I agree with you too. With <laughs> yes, yes Rosemary. You know, you see the drummers and that, you know, with the oh, yeah. ocean and all that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that does remind me in the American Revolution, there was a, a point where a man in charge of one of the armies at one of the battles told his soldiers they didn't have enough rifles. He said, go to the church and bring me all the hymnals. And they took all the hymnals and they were behind the lines and the British couldn't see them, but they started closing them real hard and it sounded like gunfire. So they were thinking, oh man, we're outnumbered. And it worked. <laughs> yeah. Strange points of history, right? So listen, so what is the result of this worship, this act of faith, this marching out to this point of death and destruction and trusting God? In verse 22, we see this. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. Verse 23, the armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir, and they killed every one of them. And after they destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground. As far as they can see, not a single one of the enemy had escaped. That's amazing. That's how it is for us. Jesus wins the victory for us. If we're willing to live in that victory, none of our enemies will escape. He can slay them all. God fought the battle. God won the victory. The kingdom of Israel only had to believe, and they faced death and destruction, and they were not harmed. 
In fact, God gave them not just the escape from death, as we see here in the next verse, he gave them the spoils of battle. It took them, now this is interesting to me, it took them three days to receive all the spoils from the defeat of their enemy. King Jehoshaphat, verse 25, and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it all. Now, the King James Version says this, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take the spoil away of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away, and there were three days gathering the spoils in so much. Now, I want to submit to you this, that the spoils of victory that Jesus won for us over his three days in the grave are more than any one of you can carry off the field of battle. There's more goodness out there that God has won for you through the victory of Jesus than you could ever accept and receive and collect in your lifetime. The same thing that's happened to them. The plunder of the Holy Spirit, the valuables of the Holy Spirit, the vast amount of jewels and gifts, we cannot take them all in. Now, I want to do something for you here real quick. One more quick word study. The word jewel used there. In one part of the Bible, this is all in your notes, it means vessels of gold and silver. That's very precious, right? In another place, it means vessels of the temple, articles used in worship. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we use ourselves in worship, right? We are now the vessel of worship in that. In another place, it, use, it, uses, it means the ornaments used on the clothing of a bride. Who are you? Part of the gospel package. You're the bride of Christ right? Okay. How about this one? Musical instruments used in praise and worship. And you are a musical instrument when you sing using yourself in praise and worship. And how about this one? It also means arms and weapons. And we are given all the armament of the Christian, right? We put on the whole armor of God in our battle every day. Isn't that just amazing? Yeah. Uh, you know, the message of the Bible is just one message of our salvation all the way through and through, over and over again, and it's all through Scripture. And it's like the fingerprints of God are all over our lives, and Jesus is everywhere that we look. Now, for us today, the gift of knowledge. Let's look back on the story we just talked about. The gift of knowledge was used for a few things specifically. It was used to help people, all right? It was used to encourage them. It was used to embolden them to do the right thing, to make the right choices. It was used to protect them, to guard their faith in God, and it was used to buttress their faith and their belief in God. Now, like all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the ultimate use of the gift is to bring someone else who's been born dead in their sins, bring them alive in Christ into salvation, right? So there's a closing note I want to give you in verse 26. On the fourth day, the rejoicing continued, and the king led a procession of worship service, of praise and worship, all the way from the field of battle into the temple of God in Jerusalem. And they went through this thing called the Valley of Blessing. All right? We, as believers, 
will also one day join in a procession into Jerusalem with our King, Jesus, and we will worship before the temple of God in Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? Any other thoughts before we close today? I just think that um, it's really, really important for all of us to at least daily, if not many, many times during the day to acknowledge in our, in our hearts and in our mind that we do have the Holy Spirit that we want to, you know, surrender to where he's leading us to try to be obedient to where he would have us to go, what he would have us to say, and to rely more on him and to understand the spirit world is so much more powerful than the fleshly material world. And that I have to constantly, constantly remind myself of God's present, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and then and please, you know, let my feet go where you want me to go. Let my hands do what you want me to do. Let my mind think on the things that you want me to think, and may my heart seek after your heart. And uh, and 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 it's a struggle because we, like Pastor said, we have the flesh, the old Adam in us, and, and that's that sin nature, but. If, if I think if we just concentrate and, and just make it a part of our everyday, breathe in, breathe out. <laughs> Dear Lord, help me. Dear Holy Spirit, lead me. Yeah, I like that. Sometimes, too, though, you have to be still and listen. A lot of times we're go, 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 do, 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 and we don't take that time to listen. You're right. No, it is, it is, it's a, you're right. Absolutely. Well, I thank you all for that. Let's pray. All right. Father God in heaven, we are very grateful for the work that you do for us in our salvation. We're grateful for the work that you do in us through your Holy spirit as we um, live out our life in Christ. And we ask you God to, to bring to presence of mind, uh, your gift in us. And for those of us here who have the gift of the word of knowledge, that it would be displayed for your glory, for your honor, for the edification, edification of the uh, saints, um, so that we can encourage people in their faith and we can draw those who've been born dead in their sin to life in Christ for eternity. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. Well, thank you all for being here. Hope you enjoyed it.